Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. Of course, we understand that we come to the second epistle of the Apostle Paul, as I've already stated, as we read to the church at Corinth. This is the Apostle Paul, and as uh, it is uh, very obvious from uh, what this book is, he is writing to a group of believers. He's writing to a church in an area uh, known as Corinth. And I would say that uh, this particular group of people, these Corinthians, uh, are a group of people that uh, when you study the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, uh, they are a group of people that in his ministry are very noteworthy. Uh, These two particular epistles of the Apostle Paul are uh, among, if not, uh, they are among the longest, the lengthiest letters that he wrote, if they are not the longest. And I haven't done a word count, so I can't tell you that for certain, Uh, but just a number of pages would let you know that uh, the Apostle Apostle Paul, as he wrote the first epistle to them, he had a lot to tell them. And then he had so much to say that he decided to write them another fairly lengthy uh, letter, fairly lengthy epistle to them. And so this is a group of people that no doubt Paul has cared a great deal about. And he is very concerned about uh, their walk with God. He's very concerned about uh, their church and how their church functions and serves the Lord. And uh, as you think about these two books of the Bible of course I mentioned that we were uh, reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and uh, verse number 16. Uh, When you think about 2 Corinthians you can't think about 2 Corinthians without thinking about 1 Corinthians and uh, I know brother Tommy is uh, working his way in Sunday school in the book of 1 Corinthians and uh, and I'll uh, review some things uh, this uh, uh, morning that he may have already covered. I'm not in his class, so I don't know uh, how far he's gotten and and, uh, things of that nature. Uh, But no doubt he has given some wonderful lessons out of uh, 1 Corinthians. Amen. Goes right there. Amen. If you're in uh, Brother Tommy's class. Amen. Uh, But the book of 1 Corinthians, if you read it, is a book that is very stout. uh, Very uh, stern words from the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul had very little uh, positive to say uh, in uh, the uh, multitude of chapters in 1 Corinthians. And uh, Paul is uh, addressing in that book some issues that is in the church at Corinth. And Paul has taken time with paper and ink uh, to preach to them through a printed page uh, to uh, give pastoral wisdom and leadership as the apostle of God to the Gentiles. And he is writing back to this church of issues that he has heard in their church and that he has knowledge of in uh, the church. Amen. And so he spends 1 Corinthians dealing with uh, those things that he has knowledge of. And I do believe it is very important uh, for those that have been uh, called especially uh, into the pastoral ministry uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, we as pastors, we can't deal with everything. Uh, We are limited in our knowledge. We're limited in our understanding of uh, much of what goes on in a church. I believe a pastor should always 
always have his pulse, uh, his thumb on the pulse of the church and uh, have uh, wisdom from God into how to uh, deal with issues in the church. But uh, just as it's the case in your life as a human being, uh, there will be things that escape your mind and escape your knowledge. And no doubt it is the same way with every uh, pastor in this world. However, I do believe that uh, we as pastors and even we as Christians uh, have the uh, have the uh, the uh, the uh, obligation, if I can put it that way, uh, to deal rightly with things that we know about, especially those of us like pastors in a church, as uh, Paul is here. When an issue arises that uh, must be dealt with, pastors must deal with the things that they know. They can't always deal with the things that they don't know, but they are called upon from God to deal with the things that they see and they hear and that they have knowledge of. And so that's what the Apostle Paul does throughout the entire book of 1 Corinthians. There are things that has come before his mind that he has had to deal with, and he has had to deal with strongly and sternly. And uh, amen. Uh, when you read through 1 Corinthians, chances are uh, you're not going to have warm, fuzzy feelings. Amen. Uh, especially if you're engaged in uh, the kind of sin that the Corinthians were. Amen. Uh, but I will say this with his stern and his rough of a rebuke of a letter as 1 Corinthians was, that makes me even more glad this morning uh, that Paul did not leave the Corinthians with a stern warning uh, and leave it there uh, without a bomb or a salve, amen, uh, to help ease the uh, pains of the rebuke and uh, the, the, uh, sharp, uh, uh, the, the, the sharp reproof of this congregation. He was called to do it. He had to do it. And no doubt he did it with a broken heart and found no pleasure in doing it, but he had to do it nonetheless. But I'm telling you this morning, I'm glad that God didn't just leave that account there, uh, but God put it on Paul's heart and led him to write another book. Amen. Led him to write more truth uh, to this church in Corinth. And whereas 1 Corinthians was a book that was tough and stern and rebuking and reproving, here in 2 Corinthians there is much uh, to be found by way of exhortation, by way of encouragement, by way of edifying and lifting up this uh, church body that has uh, been dealt with strongly uh, by a pastor that has been called upon and an apostle that has been called upon to deal with sin where he sees it. But now we find in this second letter that this man of God has not left them with what he sees wrong in them and the sins that he has knowledge of, but now as, as we'll deal with this more in a minute, but as they begin to heed the word, the warning of his rebuke, as they begin, to, as, he, as the church begins to heed the warning of the first letter and the, uh, the stern, sharp words of the first letter, as their man of God deals with them and points them in the right way and in the ways of God, as they have dealt with what he said, now we find that Paul is commending them for getting their hearts right and for hearing as we have preached uh, uh, several weeks ago uh, in our Wednesday night service they, uh, they uh, received the word of Paul that is the word of God they received it not as the words of men but as it is in truth the word of God and because God was using his man to speak to them they received what he said instead of rejecting what he said they received 
received what he said. And now there has been such a work from God done in their heart that now Paul is able to commend them. And in verse number 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, we find one of the most amazing commendations of Scripture toward any group of people that I believe can be found in any part of the Scripture. Notice now what is being said. And remember as we read who it is that Paul, who it is that is saying this, the Apostle Paul, and who it is he's saying this to. Remember he is writing to the church at Corinth, which by the way is the most carnal church, the most worldly church, the most secular church that Paul ever dealt with in his ministry. And when we consider that, it is amazing the irony that is found. And no doubt is proof of the great working of the Spirit of God in that church's heart and in those individuals that were in sin in their heart by the fact that their men of God, by the fact that the great, one of the greatest Christians to ever live, probably the greatest believer uh, and uh, faith and trust in, in God outside of uh, no doubt the Lord Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul said to this church that has been known as the most worldly church, the most carnal church, the one that he will mention in later passages that they actually reveled in their uh, sin and their tolerance to sin. He says, look at your Bible, verse 16, I rejoice, therefore, listen to this now, this is the great Apostle Paul, that I have confidence in you, in all things. What an amazing verse. While it's short, while it's brief, and while it is very simple, what an amazing verse of Scripture this is. We find here the Apostle Paul making a grand statement concerning the, tr the church at Corinth. He is giving them the compliment of compliments. He is telling them something that I believe that every Christian should desire to hear from individuals in their life that you are a person that instills confidence in others in you and in particular in the context of this passage the confidence that this, that this apostle has in this church at Corinth is rooted and grounded in their faith in Christ and they not just their faith but because of them their uh, because of their faith in Christ in particular he is having confidence because of their obedience to the Word of God, because of their obedience to uh, the, uh, the, recommend the biblical uh, recommendation, the biblical uh, preaching, if I can put it that way, through uh, the printed page uh, of their pastor to them. Amen. Now, let me say this. I'm not, uh, this morning, I am not ignorant enough to try to put the office of a pastor or the office of a preacher on a level with God. I do believe that it is, it is uh, primarily important that you and I make sure that, it, that with everything in us that we live the kind of life and we have the kind of faith in God and we are walking with God in such a way that God Almighty has confidence in us. That is paramount. That is premier above anything else but at the 
same time here, the Apostle Paul expresses his confidence in the people that God has called for him to leave. And I will say this, that I do believe that is uh, quite important because uh, just uh, just as your pastor and the spiritual uh, the spiritual leader in this place that God has put here, uh, I, I can say this, if me as a mortal human being that has faults and failures of my own and battles with the flesh of my own and I am limited in my knowledge of uh, understanding of everything that goes on in the church and very limited in what's going on in the hearts of God's people here. If your Christian life is in such a way that someone is faulty and fleshly and human uh, just like you and I are the same when it comes to the flesh. If you have lived in such a way that I can't find anything to where I can lose confidence in you, chances are that if I can find those things, no doubt as God looks at us that truly sees the heart, He is the one that truly knows whether or not there can be true confidence in us in all things or not. Here the Apostle Paul expresses his personal belief, but I'll say this, as wonderful as it is, that Paul expressed his personal belief that he through their actions and through what he can see with his physical eyes and what he can understand in his ministry and their obedience to the truth can say that I can see these areas. I've seen your response to the truth and therefore I can rejoice before God that I can have confidence in you in all things. That is a wonderful thing and we'll deal with that this morning but the truest question of it all is not that I have confidence in you but can the God of heaven as he knows the heart that I cannot know as he knows the intent that I'll never be able to know as he knows the thoughts in your mind that I could never read nor understand I'm telling you if if God who sees all of those things that man cannot see can have confidence in you then friend you are on a great ground when it comes to your walk with God and I'm not saying I'm preaching something this morning that we can ever fully attain but I am saying this I'm preaching something this morning that ought to be a goal post in the Christian life of every believer amen that those around us yes can have confidence amen that all sinners have confidence in our walk with God that those in the church house have confidence in our walk with God I would hope that you would love to see your pastor have confidence in your walk with God and your faithfulness to the church and your faithfulness to the ministries uh, that God has uh, for us here amen but more important than all of that does God know that he can have confidence in you this morning I'm going to preach on the subject of commending Corinth. Commending Corinth. That's what we find in 2 Corinthians 7, 16. Paul commends them with the short commendation. I rejoice therefore uh, that I have confidence in you in all things. Here we find words that as a, you know, we mentioned it this morning, Brother Kyle mentioned in the announcements that, you know, today is 
is the reason why I'm not going to be here tonight and uh, for service is today is my pastor's last Sunday as pastor of my home church. And after almost 14 years starting the church and almost 14 years of pastoring there, God has called him to another work in another state and to assume another pastorate. Uh, no doubt I believe it's in the will of God. Uh, but my, but that uh, last service has got my mind to thinking uh, about things as I consider uh, this verse. You know, these were words that I would have loved as a young preacher to have heard uh, from my pastor. Now, my pastor wasn't much of one that just arbitrarily passed out compliments. And uh, I think there's some wisdom in that. Amen. Uh, I don't believe that we ought to always pass out insults either. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I do believe that some, uh, if you are too free with your compliments, amen, uh, that, there, that might encourage folks to uh, never grow when it comes to uh, truly being earned to deserve uh, the compliments that are given. I do believe that we ought to do that. And the Apostle Paul no doubt gives us that example. But he did not tell this church when they were not living up to God's standard that he was okay and he was pleased with what they're doing. But once they got right with God, uh, he said this, amen. I've received many wonderful uh, words of compliments and accommodations from my pastor over the years, but yet I never heard these words, amen. And that's okay, amen. Uh, these words in particular. And I do thank God for every time that folks in my life have expressed confidence in my Christian life. I, I've always reveled in the fact and enjoyed and been blessed in my spirit whenever someone has come to me and said, uh, Preacher God used you to be a blessing in my life. Every time a soul has been saved and to know that God used my life to see their destination for eternity changed, where God has allowed me to minister to someone or to have an influence in somebody's life to where their walk with God was deep, deepened or grown in some way. That's a wonderful blessing. But I wonder this morning as we consider how we are and how similar we are to the church at Corinth, I wonder if we are living the kind of life to where we can uh, truly and honestly not just be commended by those around us, but also by God himself. I wonder this morning, what is the world seeing in our Christian life? What is the world saying about our Christian life? What is it that our walk with God is displaying before a lost and dying world? What is our walk with God displaying before the church of the living God and those that know the Lord? Are we a blessing or are we a hindrance to them in their walk with God here in the, in the the story of the Corinthian church, there are uh, several things that are worthy to note as we consider truly the irony, first of all, of what is being said here. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. <clears throat> I'm going to mention some things really briefly this morning and then uh, by way of introduction and then just simply state a truth at the end that will be the uh, crux of the thought for this morning. 1 Corinthians, not 2 Corinthians where we were, but 1 Corinthians, the book prior, chapter number 3 and verse number 1. Notice what the Bible says here. 
Now this is to this church that Paul has just said in his second letter to them, I rejoice therefore that I have confidence in you. Talking about these in Corinth, in them, in all things. I believe that that three-letter word is one of the biggest words in our Bible. Amen. Not in size, but in power. A-L-L-All. Not that he has confidence. Not that he can trust in them. Not that he can rely on them in just a couple of things or a, or some, or a few things. Amen. But in all things, in everything. Amen. Look at this. is Now this is the same group that he said that to. Look at chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 1. The Bible said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. There are many folks that I've met in my life that that could be said of, both in and out of the church, and no doubt you've met some as well, that he goes on to say, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. This is a church that is filled with truly born-again people because he calls them babes in Christ. They are in Christ. We know that they are truly saved by the grace of God. But what a, what, a, what, a, what a horrible thing it is for a church to be filled with people that are truly saved by the grace of God but have never grown in their faith. He says, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. We couldn't have a spiritual conversation. I could not preach to you any truly the depths of spiritual, spiritual truth. There's no spiritual conversation we could have. The only way I could deal with you is unto carnal as babes in Christ that have never grown. And the reason they have not grown is not because they are new in faith. Paul here is, is expressing the fact that while they are babes in Christ, they should have grown beyond being a babe in Christ. And we see that because he has a desire to speak to them as unto spiritual. If they were simply truly babes in Christ just recently converted, Paul would not be bothered by the fact that he truly could not speak to them yet as unto those who were spiritual and spiritually grown. But because these are individuals that have been saved for a length of time, but yet their spiritual condition reflects that of being on the same level in their walk with God as those who were recently converted. He says that he had to speak to them as unto babes in Christ. Not that they were, but that is how he had to deal with them. Verse number two, he talks about uh, he talks about his uh, preaching and his teaching to them. He says, I fed you with milk. Paul, as their apostle, is feeding them spiritually, but he's having to feed them with milk and not with meat. The milk of the word, the milk of spiritual doctrine, and not the meat thereof. Why? He said, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. You know, when it comes to a small child, a baby in particular, uh, you don't start a baby out on stake. You don't start a baby out by, hand, by, by going down to McDonald's ordering a Big Mac and putting it on their table. Babes can't handle that. 
And it's the same way with uh, babes in Christ. Uh, there are some things that yet, until they grow spiritually, they may not be able to handle. Paul here mentions the atrocity of their not growing in Christ in verse 2 because he tells them that he's fed them with milk and not with meat. He said, for hitherto ye were not able to bear. That's talking about the past. And the atrocity is in the fact, not just that they weren't able to bear it in the past, but he says even all this time that has passed since, he said they are still not able to bear it. After time has passed, after opportunity for, to, for, for them to grow, he says they are still not able to bear. Look at verse 3. He says, for ye are yet carnal. Paul was not a man of God who minced words. Paul was not a man of God who backed up when it came to the truth about his people. He told them plainly when he saw carnality and he saw where they had not grown, he said, ye are yet carnal. Verse number three continues and he says for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions are you not carnal and walk as men. In other words Paul is saying here that when it comes to individuals in a local church body one of the truest signs of carnality is the fact number one he, go, he lists these specifically no doubt there could be others that would be mentioned but some for some reason the Holy Ghost decides to bring these three things to mind as Paul deals with this church as he has found this carnality problem in their church he says for whereas he tells them they're carnal and he tells them why he knows that verse 3 for whereas there is among you envying if there is great levels of envy among the church body, that is a sign of a carnal church made up of carnal Christian, carnal people. He said, for there is among you envying, amen. Then he goes on to say strife. Can I say this? Envy will always lead to strife. Amen. You don't have just passive envy. Before long, that envy is going to give way to bitterness, and that bitterness will stir up strife if left unchecked and before long. He says if there's, there's envy in your church, there's envy in Corinth, and so therefore I know there's carnality in Corinth. He says there is strife, that there is issues, there is problems, amen. There's contentions, there, uh, there is uh, heightened levels of, uh, of anger and frustration and problems one with another. He said that is obvious in Corinth, and that is a sign of carnality within this church. Paul deals with it head on. And then thirdly, he says, not only does he see among them envying and strive, but then he mentions this. He says divisions. You can rest assured that if there is a church body that there is division, the source of the division is always those that have a carnal spirit and a carnal mind about them. 
It's not spirituality that divides churches. It is carnality that divides churches. It is not spirituality that divides homes. It is carnality that divides homes. It's not spirituality that causes issues between husbands and wives and brothers and sisters. Amen. It's not spirituality that causes one brother not to be able to talk to another brother. That causes one sister not to be able to talk to another sister. It's not spirituality that causes people to come into the church house with a cold shoulder or with a, or with a, a chip on their shoulder. It's carnality that does that. If we ever get to the place to where we can't talk to one another and we can't fellowship with one another and there's issues between us, friend, carnality has slipped in and it must be dealt with. Amen. Paul here stands uh, here in the text. Uh, amen. And here he is writing to them about carnality because he has been put in a place to deal with carnality in this church with a spiritual authority from God to be one not not because Paul has never dealt with carnality. Not because Paul has not at times possibly even embodied carnality. He was flesh just like we are. But because God had put upon him an authority and an obligation to make sure that the churches of the living God, that God had put under his apostleship and that God had put under his care, were cleansed of carnality in the areas at least to where he could notice it. He has seen this. He tells him, for there is among you. In other words, he knows this. It has come to his attention. He has knowledge of this. And because of the knowledge, he does not have a choice but to deal with it. He says here, based on the envying, based on the strife, based on the divisions, he says, are you not carnal? And walk as men. In other words, walking as men, not walking led by the Spirit of God, but led by the flesh, led by the humanity that resides in our human, human natures. He says, is, are you, in other words, are you not acting and walking like someone who is not? I'm not saying they're walking like heathen, but I am saying this. They're walking as if that it cannot be readily identified that they are being led by the Spirit of God. They're walking as men, not walking as believers here. Paul says that he has seen these things, and he poses that question to them. As no doubt, as he brings up the envy and the strife and the divisions, as he brings that before them, and brings it to their attention, they must in their mind, knowing what's going on in their church, must come to a place where they have to admit, yes, there is envy in our church. Yes, there is uh, strife. Yes, there are divisions in our church. And then he adds that posing question that no doubt struck in the heart of those believers, pierced them through as the Scripture does, as the Word of God, that is, that sword, that double-edged sword that pierces even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is, amen, the, uh, is, a, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, that soul word of God, the sword of the Spirit that cuts deep. No doubt his words here pierced them when he said, and made them admit in their mind and their heart, are you not carnal? I wonder how much better we would be doing as believers. And I say we, not to exclude myself in any way. 
how much better would we all be doing if we made sure that when it comes to our attention, Paul here as the pastor is preaching this, there is an application to church here when it is preached against that we don't do as we so often do in our Baptist churches, take our spiritual shovels and shovel it off on the end of somebody else, but get to where the rubber meets the road. Realize that we too are guilty of carnality in our own life and let the Spirit of God as to the preaching and the teaching and the reading of the Word of God as the Spirit of God bears that question to our heart, are ye not carnal? I wonder how much better we'd be doing, Brother Tommy, if we as believers would say, yes, yes. You're right. I am carnal. Yes. You know, I realize that there are different organizations out there. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I've never been to one of their meetings. Thank God I've never needed one of their meetings. And uh, you better thank God if you never have either. But I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous will tell you that the, really any kind of help self-help program would say that the first step to getting help is admitting you have a problem. I believe, well, whereas there are issues within those type of organizations uh, that I'm not going to con not going to condone this morning uh, when it comes to how they're getting people help. I, I think we give people help from the Word of God and through presenting the gospel to them. If you get saved, that'll change everything else. That'll help you with it. You get the Spirit of God within, that'll help the other things. Amen. Uh, not just self-help and not just uh, not just mantras to say to yourself and ways to pull yourself up by your own bootstrap. But I do believe that there is a spiritual application that could be said about that the first step to getting help between you and God is admitting that there's a problem. That is the truth for those of us that are saved in here this morning. That is the truth for those of us in here that know the Lord. And I'll say this, for those of you that may be in here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that is truly the first step to beginning the rest of your life. Truly the part of your life that would really matter and the eternity that would really matter is you've got to decide that there is a problem, that there is a sin problem in your life that you cannot fix on your own. But I'm glad this morning to tell you there is one that can fix the sin problem. If you would just admit that there is a sin problem, amen, maybe just maybe I could take the Word of God or someone in here could take the Word of God and show you from the pages of God's Word, amen, how to get that problem solved, amen. We've got to admit there's a problem. And then we've got to seek God for the solution for the problems that we have. I may be done with this this morning, but the, 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 before I move on, I don't want to keep you too long this morning, but I do believe this is a very important truth. He says here that there is a carnality problem. Verse 3, he poses that question, are you not carnal? And walk as men. Look at verse number four. Paul describes a little bit of the strife and divisions in the church when he says, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. He again, he poses that question Are you not carnal? You know, one of the best ways to convey a truth, and this is something that this is something that I've been taught and I've read in, in volumes of books, but one of the best ways to convey a truth to anyone is simply by repetitive questions. Sometimes you can teach more in questions than you can in statements. 
it is said that in ancient Greece, that was all that was in ancient Greece, they were known for their philosophers while they were wicked men and really don't have very much to impart unto us spiritually. There is something that we can learn from the ancient Greeks by way of teaching. And they said that the ancient Greek philosophers like Plato and others, they made it a, they made it a practice that they taught their students not by standing up with a lesson and then conveying the lessons to their uh, students in that way, but the way they taught was simply by standing in front of their students and as they discussed a certain topic, they asked them a series of questions and made them teach the lessons to themselves. They made, they, they made the, and, and here, here's the difference in those, those teaching methods. When you convey a truth, people, yes, will hear it, and yes, will receive it. But when you do what he's doing here, and he asks that question, it, 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 it brings people to a place to where without even trying to, they've got to meditate on what you just said. They've got to think about what you just said. He says it twice. Not only does he do it in the form of a question, but he does it in the form of a repetitive question. Just as soon as they thought he was going to go on to the next subject and they were going to be safe and they were going to be okay. As that, that, that first question, are you, are, he says in verse number three, are you not carnal and walk as men? All that hurt, all that pierces. Paul begins in verse four to talk about Paul and Apollos. He begins to bring up that, and maybe they might have just thought, Phew, I just got pierced so hard. But thank God the Apostle Paul is going on to another subject. But then he hits him with it again. Are you not carnal? He goes on in verse 5, and has, after he has dealt with the division over Paul and Apollos, he says in verse number 5, he says, Who then is Paul, and who uh, is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? See, they, they had an issue with this in their church, and sadly it is the case in many of our churches today. They had a, they had a problem with who their favorite preachers were. They had a problem with which men they were going to follow and which ones they were not going to follow. When they said, when they said, I am of Paul, what they meant was, what they meant was, was they were of Paul's followers. Paul's my preacher. I'm going to follow Paul. And he is the one that I'm going to give my allegiance to. They said, I belong to Paul. There's others that loved Apollos. And no doubt they would have had great reason to love Apollos. Paul was a man that was a brilliant man, one of the most intelligent men, no doubt, that God has ever created and allowed to walk upon the face of this earth. If you don't believe that, you probably haven't read much of your New Testament. Paul had a way of eloquence about him. Paul had a way of intelligence about him to where Paul truly could teach the depths of Scripture in even such a simplistic way. If Paul is so great, then how could there ever be someone that would say, I'm of Apollos? Here's the difference between Paul and Apollos. Whereas Paul was an intelligent man, Whereas Paul was a brilliant mind and conveyed truth in a way that no one else did, Apollos was a gifted speaker. 
The Bible tells us that even though, and the Bible even tells us that there was some, uh, there was in those early days of Apollos' ministry, there was even some uh, uh, faulty teachings that he put forth there at the beginning unknowingly. But they liked Apollos because whereas Paul was an intelligent, brilliant man, his delivery was not quite as compelling as Apollos's was. The Bible itself tells us that Apollos was a gifted communicator. They were drawn to the gift in his communication. They were drawn to his personality to where they were willing to even write off Paul to say, I belong to Apollos. Can I say this? And, and by the way, that was an issue in this first century church. And it's an issue in churches today. This, this is my camp. This is my group. These are my people. And I, uh, that's, who I'm, that's who I belong to. Especially if you are like me, which only two men, in, two men, three men in here are in this camp of people. But if God ever calls you to preach, that will be elevated more than anywhere else that you would ever find it in church. I am of this camp. There's a group of independent Baptists that say, well, I, they, a lot of times it happens based on where they went to college and where they didn't. I'm of the Bob Jones crowd. I'm of the Crown College crowd. I'm of the Ambassador crowd. I'm of the Tabernacle crowd. I'm of years ago. It was the it was the uh, the um, hot dog. It just Tennessee Temple crowd. Hey man, I was about to say where? What was the name of the school Lee Robertson did? Tennessee Temple. You had all these divisions based on the Paul side of things. The intelligence. You're not good enough to preach for me if you can't show me the right kind of class ring you've got on where you graduated. You've got to prove to me you're worthy of, of, of me being a part of anything you're doing because of your intelligence. Can I say this? Intelligence is not what it takes to do a work for God. Sheer intellect and sheer book learning does not help you be more of a preacher of the gospel than anything else in this world does. You'll have some that would like to be a part of that Apollos crowd. They like what they can see in the service. They like the entertainment. They like the shout. They like the, they like the, the eloquence of speech. You'll have some that will say, well, I'm, I'm a camp meeting guy. And they'll divide over that. You have the Pauls that say, I, I like Bible conferences and, and, the, and, and exposition seminars and that group. And then you'll, they'll, well, I believe in camp meetings and revivals and these st emotionally stirring things. Let me ask this question. Why do we have to choose between the two? If we here at Beacon Baptist Church, if God led us to have a Bible conference to where we come in for a series of days in a meeting and God just lets us open up the Bible and a preacher gets up and pulls out nuggets out of the Word of God and takes us, and takes us into the depth of Scripture. Why do we've got to divide from that in terms of having this or having a camp meeting, having this or having a revival? I believe the two are both beneficial.
I believe that God, as the Bible says, I believe that God has given us pastors and teachers. I believe he's given us uh, where the Bible mentions prophets. I believe we can apply that to New Testament preachers in our day. I believe that God has called individuals in the ministry with their unique personalities and their unique minds and their unique gifts to be used of God, not exclusively, but in tandem with all of those, all of the others that God has called and placed in places for us to hear the truth. We have churches, and I'm not saying that this takes place in this church, thank God. I thank God for the unity that God has given for with me and Dr. Caldwell back there and pastoring this church. But you'd be surprised how many churches will that once were great churches and once were wonderful ministries that God was blessing, and all it took was for, the, for, the, for, a, for a transition in the pastorate to take place and people divide where their allegiance lies. For the church to go under. If that ever becomes, and I think he'd amen this, if that is ever the case here at Beacon Baptist Church, that is not God's will for this place. Our allegiance is not to Paul. Our allegiance is not to Apollos. Our allegiance is to God. Our allegiance is to serve the Lord, not that simply Paul has my devotion or, uh, or Apollos has my devotion. For us to be, well, I'm behind this guy or I'm behind that guy, that's carnality. If there was ever a time where anybody in this church, if your heart says, well, I'm going to follow Dr. Caldwell, but I'm not going to follow Pastor Lawson, that's carnality. If there's a group of people says, well, I'll follow Pastor Lawson, but I, I'm not interested in listening to Brother Caldwell, that's carnality. God does not want his church to be divided. God called Paul to write the first few chapters of a book, and he begins dealing with problems. And the first problem he deals with is the problem of carnality in the church. I'll preach these later, but there's four problems that he deals with. He deals with their carnality problem. He deals with what I'm calling their chastity problem, a problem of purity within their church. He deals with a childish problem, and then he deals with their contention problem. It doesn't matter what he has to say about the chastity in the church until he deals with the carnality in the church. It doesn't matter what he has to say about the childishness in the church and the, the childish mentality among babes in Christ if he doesn't deal with their carnality. It doesn't matter what he says about contentions in the church if he lets carnality reign in the midst of the local church assembly. Why? Because if you don't deal with carnality, it doesn't matter how much truth you hear about living a pure and clean life, you're not, you're not ever going to care to deal with it. Carnality means you're worldly, and the world stands closer for you to line yourself up with wickedness and impurity and ungodliness than it does with the things of God. It would be much easier for you to go the way of the world than it is to go the way of God unless you deal with your carnality. It doesn't matter about the childishness in the church. If you are a carnal person, and where, 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 where Paul talks about uh, how he had to grow beyond being simply a child spiritually, but you'll never deal with that the way that you deal with that because if you have carnality in your heart, you'll assume that message is for everybody else and you'll never apply it to your own life. It doesn't matter how heartbreaking the contention may be. 
If there's carnality in your life, you'll be unconcerned about the fact that there are divisions between you and another brother or sister in Christ or between the entire church. Whether the church is divided from one person to another or it's divided right down the middle or, every, every, or any variation in between. If you do not deal with the carnality problem, it, you will not be bothered by any other area, uh, any other area of, 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 of spiritual uh, issues. You've got to deal with our world. We've got to deal with our carnality. We've got to deal with our worldliness. It's as, as Paul was on his way to trying by stating truth and dealing with his church and lovingly pastoring them, even with rebuke, even with reproof. Paul no doubt wrote those words with a broken heart, but yet with a duty from God. He is telling them this not because he wants to hurt them, but because he loves them and wants to help them. And he tells them these things because no doubt in the back of his mind, his heart's desire is to be able to one day pin down the words that we began with this morning. That because you did not reject me when I had to get a little rough, because you didn't write me off and say, well, the preacher hates me, because you did not simply turn a deaf ear to what he said, he was truly believing that he was giving them as the Word of God. He hoped that one day they, because they wouldn't reject it and they would receive it and they would respond to it that he'd be able to pick up his pen one day and say, and say I rejoice and this is a big word therefore because you did what I asked you to do because when I presented the truth you cared enough about your walk with God to get it right because of what you've done I'm rejoicing that now, after having dealt with that, and after you having responded to it, that now I have confidence. I have trust. I have an ability to rely on your work for God in that church. The word literally means that Paul was brought to a place of cheerfulness. When he said, I have confidence, the word means that he is bubbling over with cheer. He is of good cheer. He is so happy that they did not simply choose to write off Paul and embrace Apollos or any other ministry of the day and just move camps and move churches and move influences. But they heard it. They received it. They got right. They did not give themselves to Paul as others were in the church as an issue. They didn't give themselves to Paul by getting right with God because of the message Paul gave. They weren't giving themselves to Paul. They weren't giving themselves to Apollos. They were giving themselves over to God. And by giving over the control of their life to God, Paul said, I am now so happy, so filled with cheer, bubbling over that I, and it may not have been meant much to others in the world, but for a church that loved their man of God, it meant something to them. I have confidence in you in all things. But more than that, I stress, while there is a great message in just that for this church at Corinth, and maybe even for our churches in this day, 
more importantly than all of that, can God trust that we this morning, can He have confidence in us in every way that we too will deal with our carnality? We'll finish more as the Lord leads, but this is the truth that God gave me to give you this morning. Every head bowed. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. When the rolling call of young.